Great. Uh, Mia, I know you're a big um, concert person and loves going to concerts. What was the last concert you went to? Yeah, um, uh, I had to think through that question a lot because um, I actually had forgotten. Um, and that's a, uh, it's so boring that I can't go to concerts anymore and just Forgetting the last one is oh, it's awful because it's so more it's than a, a year ago. What, how long ago? It uh, is. It's no, no, no. It was just before before lockdown. Um, okay. well, sort of our soft lockdown. Mm. It was February. Uh, mm. So actually, um, I just remembered it when when mm. coming here. It, it's Sabaton. Oh, right. And it's not my favorite band. They are they're a good live band. It's okay so. to like them as well. I think. But I. Do uh, I do remember the first concert that was cancelled, and that was Hammerfall. Oh, and they were in Sweden, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Wow. It should have been it's and postponed. And yeah. I, I and I know there's a crew of several people who's uh, friends, of course, but a little bit friends of the in the industry uh, that has yeah. some typical data or BI connection that has been sort of a, a concert going crew for several years. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about the? The, the, the concert community in the BI space. <laughs> yeah. It's a joke, but I... Uh, but uh, I'm not sure if, it, if it's a concert community. No, it's, it's friends, but I think, I think it's friends, but we happen to several work in, in the data space. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when going to concerts, you meet a lot of people. We're the same, same bunch of people, and, and it happens quite a lot that you find, you meet the same people on, on different concerts, and you get to know them and, and so on. Both people that you, you know since before, and then new people you meet there. And quite often they work within the IT. So uh, when you go to the concerts I go to, usually rock concerts, uh, there's usually IT people. In, it's I funny. Know, I yeah. don't know why. Uh, I, what are you, your thoughts about that? No, but Goran, uh, I mean, like we work a lot together and, and, and stuff like that. And I know you love to go to concerts and I, I, I kind of oh. like to go to concerts, but I'm not going every time. Or every, but but I, I went along with you, I think. And then I... I met this, oh, this is this, and then I realized uh, several of you guys, we met, but at the Data Innovation Summit, right, yeah. at the conferences. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then you know, typically you get your, in, in your um, Skansen card or whatever, what, you know, you get, so you get your free concert, Grönalund, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Grönalund has a, uh, the Swedish uh, amusement park has a fantastic card, which may, you know, if you're a member, you can go in into the park and then you can see all these fantastic bands for a very small price mm. for a whole year. So that was my uh, last concert. I think one of the Grönalund ones last yeah. autumn with uh, yeah, friends, fr fr friends in IT, yeah. <laughs> let's call it that. <laughs> yeah. And that Grönalund is amazing because you can go there if, if you don't have anything to do. Um, if you want to go out, don't, don't want to go home that evening. You might as well go to Grönalund and watch a concert. And it might be something new that you haven't heard before. And yeah. you meet people there. It's a, it's a nice to, place to be. It's nice. Yeah. For a nice summer, summer evening. Yeah, exactly. But that is one, one of the things we can't do anymore and which is very annoying. But apart mm. from that, I think it's, um, it's, um, I miss concerts and I miss travels. Travel and concerts. Yeah. It's actually, yeah, those two is quite, uh, yeah, they, you, that was that would be something I would like to do right now as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, I like Grönlund as well, but I go to the other part of Grönlund called the uh, Dansbands um, uh, Park. Okay, yeah. and music there. <laughs> but anyway, who is uh, Mia? Oh, that's a difficult, difficult question. Um, 
well, it's not, but it's difficult to to uh, shrink it down to to uh, some um, edgy info to give you. Uh, well, I work in the IT industry. I'm responsible for for a company within the Node Group, um, and I've been involved in in IT companies all my life. But I'm I come from finance um, mm. from the beginning. Um, even though my my family, my upbringing was that my father has been working for IBM for 30, 35 years, mm. a gold watch and everything like he did back then. Mm-hmm. And my oldest brother, he was working for Apple, so they were like oh, compete, wow. competing. I, Apple and IBM in the same family. That's nice. Yes. So I, I actually had, I, as I remember, three two Lisas and one Macintosh in my room and one IBM computer. Oh, this is super cool. I was 12 years old. And was it always a fight at home on, on the, yep. like on, on the PC versus uh, Mac? Uh, mm, sometimes, not time? always. Not sometimes. always. Uh, and I have to jump to what do you use today then? What's your favorite laptop that you use today? Uh, I, I use a proper computer, not Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I like you a lot. No, really. Okay. So what's the proper computer? Um, well, my personal computer is a, is a Toshiba. I, mm. I mean, I, I work with uh, administration today, so I don't need anything mm. um, yeah. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Proper computer, not Mac. That's, um, yeah. I think, a statement we should uh, put on a T-shirt <laughs> or something. Yeah, no, get it. Yeah, <laughs> I use the Mac, by the way. <laughs> ah, okay, uh, yeah, I could have guessed. Yeah. So um, I was brought up in in this IT family where IT was a natural thing to, to work with. That was something that you actually build. You build the, the hardware, you build the software. That was uh, nothing strange and odd to me. So, so I, I'm, um, my two parents are doctors and, and I, we <laughs> could have, uh, you know, I remember 10 years old and you have a dinner conversation and all of a sudden uh, my parents starts talking doctor speak, which essentially means they start talking Latin. Yeah. They start mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about this disease and la 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 in Latin. <laughs> so was it any computer geek speak at the dinner table, uh, when you grew up, could we, could they, you know, could you have like that sort of it or, or do they keep the work at work? How was it in your family? Um, well, first of all, my, my, my brother wasn't living in, in Sweden back then, okay. uh, obviously since worked for Apple, but, uh, oh, and right. I was so young, I was 12 years old or something, okay. so I don't remember, but now they are, have been discussing about which, uh, internet protocol, uh, yeah, at Christmas dinner, was, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, uh, but not back then, uh, not as I remember, no, okay. cool. but anyway, I chose the, the finance path to go and mm. I started working with the proper bookkeeper. Mm. Then it just, uh, well, I started working for um, education, IT education company, and uh, just well, one thing led to another, and you hear things, you learn things, and I suddenly understand that this is this is kind of quite boring, what I do today. So I started educating in different things and um, took a few courses, and then I ended up um, doing software development, uh, mm. or at least project managing uh, projects like that. Before we leave the bookkeeping world, um, <laughs> I think something that we all have to do at some point. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the, the future of using data and AI or analytics for bookkeeping? Bookkeeping. Do you think it can be optimized in in ways? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it could be a f- fun even for people that, I mean, it is a fun topic for people that are experts in it, of course. Every topic is fun if you're an expert in it, but for people that just do it because they have to, then perhaps it can become a bit more easy and fun in the future? Yeah, yeah I think the, the, the parts that are possible to, to automize the, should definitely do it because it's, it's just boring. It's mm. so boring. So, and the fun parts come with, with when everything, when the bookkeeping is done, when you look at the figures, what, what to do with them, what to, how to improve the company, how to improve the P&L. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, I know some bookkeeping, bookkeeping people and, and uh, just to talk on their sake, it actually, I actually do think it can be fun yeah. if you are an expert and really know how to, to do that properly. So <laughs> that said, it, it is, I think, a place where we could automate a lot of things and make it more efficient at least for a lot of people to do it the right way. Cool. Okay. So you moved over to education and, and what type of education did you work with to start with? Um, well, I worked for, for a company called Jönsson & Lepp, uh, which uh, was one of, one of the first education educational companies uh, around IT. We were quite big. So I, <laughs> I remember one, one big project I had was to teach... Um, one customer had to move from WordPerfect to Word, mm. Microsoft Word. I remember so WordPerfect. I'm that old. old. <laughs> so. me, me as well. I think WordPerfect was an awesome uh, it was. software. It was actually even better, I think, yeah. back then. Yes, sure. This happened a lot. Um, so, yeah. So the education was about, you know, being able to use that type of software? Yeah. Or, yeah. It was basic. Um, how to... How to just mm-hmm. how to use the word, mm-hmm. which was actually what, what you had to educate your, your employees in mm-hmm. back then in the 90s. Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore. Everyone, well, even yes, you're expected to have that basic. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think about people putting, you know, I have skills in MS Office in their resume? Um, well, I have I, a bit of a. Mm. I put that resume away when <laughs> <laughs> hiring people. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, but it's, it's quite interesting. Like, okay, so the when we were in the 90s, basic training at Jönsson & Lepp was uh, Word. What is oh, the base? Oh, I, that was what I started with. No, but I, I, as a given as, as an example of the times, I was thinking referring. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you, if, if that was the yardstick of the data literacy, mm-hmm. What what where are we today? If if this gen- generic training that we want to give broader to our companies to become data literate, is it BI now maybe, or is it what is it? If you look at the list of the available uh, trainings mm. um, on any training company's website, mm. it's huge. It's yes. extremely long. Uh, but then uh, I would say that the, the biggest difference is that you don't have classroom training as much anymore. You are expected as an employee, at least uh, working with IT uh, or any kind of more advanced work, you are expected to learn by yourself. You can follow um, DX, Coursera, or whatever the uh, names are. Um, and you are supposed to do your own training. And that doesn't fit everyone. Nope. It's uh, quite difficult. That's true. So Coursera e-learning is not for everyone in that sense. Like for some people, I think it's perfect. Yeah. 
Still, the, the question of like lifelong learning. Uh, exactly. So we, we are speaking about, I think, more and more and the need for that. And that technology is moving so fast, so everyone needs to learn it in general. Uh, what's your thinking there? Do you, do you think we should simply make the universities more up to date with the latest technology? Or should we change the way people learn things in some way? Um. I'm not sure. I, I, I think that's two questions. So, or I mean, either you can choose to make an investment saying, okay, we want to simply make sure that universities have better edu education with the right technology in place and mm -hmm. you learn what you need to actually start working with it. Mm -hmm. Or you start moving potentially to a different type of education, which is more life, uh, lifelong learning type of education. Or you combine I, the two. Or, I, mean, I think, yeah, yeah, maybe. I think you need to, to combine the two, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what you learn when, when you leave school, I mean, that's obsolete within yeah. a couple of years. Sure. Anyway, whatever you, you learn. Um, so maybe what universities should be teaching is how to be up to date mm. and how to study technique. Um, so it's method of learning more rather yeah. than the techniques themselves. Sometimes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It goes back to the definition of intelligence we talked about on the um, on this podcast, uh, yeah. several podcast backs. What, 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 what the, the one definition of intelligence is the pace you said it. Yeah, the efficiency of acquiring a skill is uh, one proper or a new term or, or definition of intelligence. So contrasting knowledge with intelligence yeah. and knowledge. What is knowledge when we can find everything at, mm. at Google, right? It, then it's the, how can I acquire the knowledge and do something mm. with it? And then this is this way of thinking intelligence. Yeah. When I hire people, I, I focus less and less on what they actually know today. Mm. I fo focus much more on when they have changed, uh, switched assignment and uh, employments earlier, how quickly can they, could they adapt? I think that's uh, an yeah. awesome and very interesting topic. I think we should move to that yeah. very sh soon. And I think also the, the learning, I mean, you're an expert both in like data and analytics and, and AI and also have a background in education. So I think actually that type of discussion, how we really start to move into a future where, you know, technology is moving so fast, you continuously more or less need to, to educate yourself. Uh, but before perhaps you move into those, um, can you just uh, talk a bit more, you know, after the, the IT education, um, what were the next steps that you moved into? Well, the, the company that I worked for was split up in um, two different different parts, the educational part and then uh, the software part. And building software was much more fun, so I joined that part and, and the, the future was, well, the possibilities in that area was so much bigger. So I went to with that part of the company and we actually built a software for fund industry uh, that is today a standard product. For fund industry? Fund companies. Uh, as ah, pension funds? Or um, what do you mean with funds? Um, uh, investment funds. Investment funds. Okay. Yeah. So we sold this to banks and but the fund company needs to be a different company within the bank. So it can't be the same as the bank. Which is legislation. So we sell it to fund companies, which are like Swedbank has a fund company called Swedbank Gruber, for instance, so, or Nordea has Nordea funds. Um, like how did this tool work? What was the, the added value that, that gave to, to companies like Svebert, Ruber or and others? Um, well, the main thing was that it was uh, 
old technology that was in 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 place uh, before this. So we built it in in modern Microsoft technology. Dot .net or uh, yes. No? <laughs> no, no, sorry, not dot .net from the beginning. It was later on. Mm -hmm. uh, we built it that this was in I mean it was um, late 90s early mm. early 2000. Um, so <laughs> it was VB6, actually, mm, the ah, GUI. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, should basic, that is. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I started working with that, uh, building reports, and then I moved on being a project manager, and eventually I, I became the, the product manager for that uh, mm. product. Awesome. So. And you still haven't really explained what it did. Uh, if, if well, as <laughs> <laughs> uh, a fund is... Um, Actually, there are two parts so, so of a fund. Is, is the name of the software called fund, or what do you mean? No, uh, oh. it's called nowadays. It's called TCM. TCM. Uh, mm. Because we were acquired by Tieto, ah. so it's called Tieto Client Manager. Ah. So it handles it when you buy a fund. Yeah. You have shares in that fund. Yeah. So that's one part of the fund. The other part of the fund is the holdings in the fund. If it owns shares in in H&M or, or SSAB, et cetera. So that's the, the fund side. And then there's a shareholder side. Um, and this product handles the shareholder side. So this product handles if you got 32.78 or 79 shares of that fund or not. And mm -hmm. when there's a dividend, when there's a tax withholding, et cetera, this product um, takes care of that. So it's an inventory and give, gives an overview and visualize basically what the yeah what the fund and the shareholders yeah you know. and a lot of, of legislations around it that oh. the, uh, produces the reports that are sent out to the shareholders, for instance, or the tax authorities. Mm. And it was supported by Tieto, you said. Yeah. Cool. And you worked there for some time as well, or yes, no? I did. Yeah. And the, the most in interesting part that was it, that what was actually teared our hearts out when we were acquired was not the thing that we were called Tieto and we were supposed to do uh, just produce things. We lost the company's soul, etc. You can learn a lot from that acquiring because it wasn't done the best. Um, as most requirements are. It is hard to acquire companies. You know, yes. I know but that from Spotify days as well. It's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Definitely not. But the worst part was when they changed name because <laughs> we, we had this stupid, silly name, Geometrics. Mm. So that was the name of the company. So the product was called ECM, Geometrics yeah. Client Manager. Yeah. But they changed the name to TCM. So they changed the name of our baby, <laughs> more or less. So it was hurtful. Oh, hurtful. It was hurtful. Yeah. And it's, I mean, back then it was, <laughs> no, it's a fun story, but it teaches you a lot about how mm -hmm. to treat people, what's important or not. Mm -hmm. You can understand if, okay, now it's the most important thing is, is money. We need to survive. This was the, the beginning of the, of 2000, 2001. Some money was very important. Um, working in IT wasn't uh, as good as it was changing the name you don't have to do that so oh, it's quite interesting cool yeah. but then you moved into some uh, new position rather quickly right um was it in yeah. Sverbank or what was it 
No, I, I changed company. I, I started working for um, actually the company that I work for today. It was back then a small company uh, called Helicopter. Mm. Helicopter Information Management, from which was a very popular name back then. Um, we never did in well, whatever. So I started working there. But in between signing the agreement to the day I started um, working there, they they were acquired by <laughs> by know it. So the same story again. Um, so I was quite disappointed. Because you wanted to work with the smaller company. That was exactly. your basic idea that exactly. here I want to come, I want to come back to my family. Mm-hmm. And then you felt, oh no, it's a bigger company again than I expected. Until then I hadn't been working for, uh, before theater, I hadn't been working for a company that was bigger than a hundred people before. So I really d- did want to come back to the small company. Mm-hmm. So. And for people that don't know what know it is, mm-hmm. how would you describe it? Um, well, um, you don't understand what kind of company it is when you look at the web page because it's that's one uh, the sort of the what you what you want to show to the customers because what we are to the customers is one big group of companies, one strong big group that knows had a lot of skills internally uh, and. Organization-wise, we are divided in sixty-five, I think, daughter companies. Mm. And every daughter company, we are very—we do whatever we, we want. We work with whatever we want. We have our own identity uh, to a certain cul- degree. Identity culture, yeah. So uh, what we can do, what what's good is that we can specialize in whatever we work with, and every company can do that. So we don't need to have a um, anyone that is uh, focused on on security, for instance, because we have a whole company that is expert in security. So that makes every company very specialized. So in the end, it's a group of several companies that has a strength together, but also has the familiarity of and the niche in each each of the uh, individual companies, so to speak, in the group. Mm. And did you, did you know this from the beginning or was this something you figured out? No. How, how was that journey? So when I, I started at uh, Know It, Helicopter Know It, I um, was, well, my mind was set up to, to move away as quickly as possible. Because oh, it's a big company. Yeah. yeah, I don't like the big company. So. And I, I was just expecting that within a year or two, we were going to be eaten up by this huge dinosaur. Uh, so I left my customer. You went uh, then. You went and worked with the customer. Yeah. Um, so I was working for Swedbank for about two two years, two and a half years, and then I was called up by my form, uh, previous boss, and he asked me if I wanted to come back and yeah, oh, well, I can come and see you for an interview. And then I came to the office, and it was exactly the same. So then I decided, why not? Then this, you realize, this oh, not. this company, a helicopter, exists still. Yeah, it does. So, so I came back. Mm. We are more, definitely more of a know-it company today than we were back then. But it's been a slowly change. So, and I think that that's a much better way to acquire companies than, um, well. Integrating them directly, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say the Tiat way because it's not the T. I I mean, most companies do like, like they do. 
um, yeah. So I stayed and um, I've been at Knowit since 2012. Mm. And what type of, you know, for people that don't know helicopter and, and uh, yeah, or know it uh, in general, what type of project do you usually work with? Do you have some speciality or what's, what's your speciality, you would say? Uh, yeah, we work in uh, data and analytics area mm. or BI, if you, uh, what you used to call it. Um, we take care of the, um, the customer's data and structure it and uh, build data warehouses, data lakes, whatever, on-prem or um, in, the, in the cloud solution. And then we present the data in a way that is easily understood and available to everyone that uses it um, with a visualization tool. Like we work with any tool. Uh, it could be Tableau, Power BI. And you're a rather humble person, and Goran knows this well. <laughs> and, and you said, I don't know that much about tech, but in reality, you actually do know a lot and and you know i think it's a lot of ambiguity you know what is a data warehouse what's a data lake what's uh, you know tableau and, and you know what the differences are between working on on-prem or in the cloud etc but if we start with you know warehouse versus a lake uh, mm. how would you uh, describe the two i would des describe a uh, data warehouse as a very structured uh, database uh, of the data collected from different sources. Mm -hmm. A data lake is much more unstructured. Um, Any pros and cons, or when should you use what, in your view? I think that's when, when you get to, to the point where I, I should turn to one of my colleagues. <laughs> I, ah, I, I, really I could guess a bit, but um, mm -hmm. um, I think when you have loads amounts of data and when they are, they come from different sources. Uh, maybe um, not internal sources. A lot of external sources. Uh, they change a lot. Then a data lake is um, preferred. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, and what do you think about the whole cloud movement? You know, it's a lot of companies moving and trying to migrate to the cloud, but it's not always that easy. And there's a lot of other like legal issues and whatnot. Uh, any any stories or thoughts about you know should companies try to move to the cloud or is it better to try to have things on-prem? Um, yeah, I, I should, <laughs> that's an um, interesting question. And uh, it, well, I would tick the yes box if that's a, a <laughs> yes or no question, but it's not, it's definitely not because it's much more complicated than that. Mm. The first thing you need to, to decide is that, I mean, why? Why do you want this? Is it because you're, Management tells you that we need to move to the cloud because I've been talking to to my friends uh, and they have done it in their company. So, and actually, that happens a lot. Um, and then it comes down to the to the BI manager who has to, or the CIO or the whatever, who owns that uh, the issue, and they have to solve it. But so, what you're highlighting is a li little bit like. Please, 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 dear customers, be super sharp on your data problem or yeah. what the data scenarios you are trying to solve. And then there could be several rationales for do, going to the cloud, but it's a little bit like mm. the lemmings train. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so because it maybe it has some implications on how you do it or mm. what cloud you choose and all that. Yeah, so definitely. the sharpness on why is quite important. Yeah. And most of 
the people, the customers, that the prospects we, we we meet, they are quite skilled. They know exactly what 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 they want, what to do. Yeah. But maybe not the whole organization. No. Um, oh yeah, so you meet some so, people who knows this exactly, but yeah. for the whole organization, it's not really clear. No. So, so um, yeah. yeah, please. Um, there's a lot of different cloud providers, of course, out there. Um, I guess 50 or so, but there are at least three really big ones in the US, and I guess none in Europe. Or do you know a single European cloud provider? I don't. Uh, no, 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 not not really, not real European company, no. Yeah. And in preference, if you take uh, yeah, the top three, I guess it's Google and Amazon and Microsoft, but do you have uh, any preference, you know, if you were to guide some customers saying, you know, I want to move to the cloud, which one should I choose? Do you have any thoughts about that? The the honest answer, which is uh, also most, um, well, uh, what we always suggest to the customers is the technology that, that we know of, that we are good in, yeah. that we have experience in, because if that's the only thing we can talk around and if they choose another um, cloud solution then, then they should turn to another company so uh, <laughs> I cannot sit here and say that you should choose this or that because it depends on so, so many things but if you buy want to buy from me uh, you should choose uh, either Azure or AWS or maybe uh, Google Cloud. Mm -hmm. We have more projects around Azure than the others. Seems like it's the most popular one in Sweden. It definitely is. Yeah. Have, uh, have you got a Absolutely. view? What's your view of why is Azure is popular in Sweden? How do you understand the market? Why, why is it like this? Uh, well, the easy question is that Microsoft is more popular. Yeah. And the next question is why Microsoft? I don't know. It's, um, but it, it's it, been it, like that for years. Yeah, many years. Do you think it's a dependency to like Office and Windows uh, software? Probably so. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, but of course, you, even in America, of course, a lot of people have Office and Windows, but still AWS hadn't. Uh, there is also yeah. the whole idea that Microsoft has always been a quite strong vendor as a good, yeah. strong representation in Sweden. Whilst you know, when did Amazon come to Stockholm? Like properly, like five eight years ago. And now when did, so, so of course, then Microsoft is much, much more ingrained in the Swedish IT industry. Could you yeah. say it like this? So, and if I now spin on that, it means they've been around and understood the enterprise environment and how to sell, and they have all these licenses. And maybe that is uh, a way of doing it in Sweden that may be a little bit different than American companies when AWS comes in and they don't have all those relationships and understanding for the big, yeah. I'm used, I don't have a clue, but I, I, I can sort of see the spin on, uh, Am Amazon starting up in a lot earlier in us, you sort of, they built that whole journey yeah. and really uh, Amazon is starting from a way back on, on the sort of infrastructure of how to work and sell mm. and support yeah. that I think has something to do with this. And then also if you, if you look at the companies, Amazon uh, versus Microsoft, don't you think that Microsoft as a company is more popular? It it's, fits quite well into the Swedish society. Um, yeah, to, to say my personal views on this, but I should Now I want to hear yeah. Anders' personal <laughs> views. 
No, but uh, you know, Amazon was the first and uh, the big is the biggest, of course, in cloud providers throughout the world. And they are doing amazing things. And it's one of the, or if not the most valuable companies uh, that we have. Yeah. But uh, they also perhaps, I don't want to say this. <laughs> <laughs> there are buts. Uh, perhaps we should leave it at that. But no, but we all we, we've talked about it before, so yeah. it's nothing new. I mean, like we can all question Amazon's. Uh, Yeah, Amazon as an employer, as an example, mm -hmm. Amazon's values, as an example, Amazon's sharing to the open source community, as mm -hmm. an example. So there are many ifs and buts that sort of, well, you're not, you, you're, you're milking the market, but are you really contributing to the society yeah. or to the open source communities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that is a valid understanding. If you now want to do, we are talking about, you know, uh, CSR, right? The, you know, the, how are we responsible corporates? Mm. Um, somewhere down the line here, that should matter, right? Mm. It, it, I think it could matter. Um, there is another angle on this. When we talk to, we have had several people now that comes more from the uh, more, how should I put it, the platform industry like Spotify, Epidemic Sound and all that. And it's very clear that they have been going a lot towards uh, Google and mm. And when I talk to a lot of my techie friends and, you know, who's really the coders in there, uh, actually the favorite GUI seems to be Google, I mean. Yeah. yeah. So, so if, you've, or, or if you had the free choice as a techie person, I, it's quite interesting, yeah? yeah? You would agree on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And why, okay, so why would you as a techie person think the GUI of Google is nicer? But it's not about the, the interface only. I think the interface is good, but it, I think the interfaces for, for the others are good as well. I think more it's about the underlying backends that they have, the network infrastructure they have, the hardware they develop themselves, and especially all the add-on services that they do add on top of the hardware. I mean, the cloud is so much more than managing hardware. It's really the main part of the cloud is the services that you have on top of that. But who has the deepest catalog today? It has to be Amazon. Yeah, right? yeah, no, no so, question. So the deepest catalog of services win to Amazon, right? Mm. And, 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 and where does uh, Microsoft win? Yeah. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> no, but Microsoft is awesome, of course, in, in many ways. And I think one of the awesome things is the, the hybrid cloud solutions yes. they do provide, which is, I think they started that awesome. with that. Yeah. And now everyone is trying to follow as well, but they actually are leading, I would say, in, in that type of technology. And With the whole SQL story on-prem and yeah. stuff like this. Um, just adding, you know, the services they do have even on-prem and being able to, you know, keep the data a bit more safe, um, keep it, you know, in-house in a way that perhaps the others can't do. In a so it's way. interesting. So Google, for, uh, sorry for going off track yeah. here, but, uh, <laughs> but Google is, is, is um, smaller. It doesn't have the whole catalog. But it what it does, it does really well, I guess. Yeah, so the quality is high, the quantity is not that high, perhaps, but the quality of the services they do provide is really good. And having the right yeah. services, that matters. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we have seen that. a lot, lot of uh, more demand for, for Google Cloud. Mm, you have, huh? the, um, the last year or so. Oh, you have seen it as well? Yeah, yeah? definitely, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah I mean, to, to just sum up, I think there are, there are pros and cons with each of them. You have to see what your needs are basically as a company to choose what works for you, right? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Perhaps we should move into a topic you, you brought up a bit before, and I think you, you like, which is recruitment as well. Mm. And, and it's something I spent so much time with uh, and so much frustration with as well, because the software, yeah. I think at least, that do 
exists today for, for recruitment. It's not good and uh, not very analytical either. What, what's, um, if we, it would be fun to hear, you know, what's your favorite way of recruiting, but, but we start with just the, the software and the tooling around recruitment. Uh, what's your thought there? Do you think it, it's good today? Do you think, uh, what, what could we do to improve it? I think it's, it's, um, it's difficult because, um, you can never leave that to, to a computer to, to give you, you should hire this one. Um, but in, in the early stages of of recruitment, like answering a few questions that are standardized or that, Mm -hmm. that are, um, aimed at finding that specific, uh, talent that you're searching for, whatever that could be, uh, good, uh, the right background that the basic techno- um, knowledge or whatever you are looking for depends on the, depending on the, the position you are. Mm. Uh, perhaps it's better to start with, you know, how do you simply, how, how do you do recruitment? Uh, how would you personally do it if you were to hire a new data analyst or something? Um, first of all, we, we need to, uh, either they, they come to us mm. and uh, ask for, for an interview. And um, that happens quite a lot. Um, and either that way or CV got gets um, presented to us from from a headhunter. Mm. So that's two ways usually, mm. or um, we get a tip from from someone that this is a good person. So that's the way how we find them. And then we always, always have two interviews and um, one more. Who are you as a person? And this is us as a company. And is it a fit? So, and if it is, we move on to, to the next interview. And that's always. So fit come first. Fit. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, for the sure. Personality. Definitely. I uh, fully agree. Fully understand. Yeah. And the second interview is a more techie one. Uh, do you have the skills that are needed or the basic skills and the, the possibility to gain new skills. Uh, that's the second interview. And then we move on to a couple of tests, both, uh, online and also, um, more deep interview. So you have to pass these three steps at least. Mm. And then depending on if they are questions, they maybe want, um, a lunch with a consultant or whatever, it's different things, but those three steps we always, uh, Starting perhaps with the first one, you know, understanding the person, personality, the attitude and whatnot. Uh, do you have any tricks in, you know, how to understand uh, that the true personality and if it's good fit or not for the it's company? It's not data driven at all. It's <laughs> only gut feeling. Yes. <laughs> no, not, not really. We, um, we have certain uh, things that we need, we want to tick off. Uh, it's not standardized, um, but we want to be at least two people involved in it. We are not a big company, but we want to, we seek to have at least three people meeting the candidate, three or four people. And that is about 10% of the company. And if, if everyone says go, um, then we think that it's, it's a good match. Um, so we're not very data driven to that. Sense. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard yeah. to, to measure personality in, in, in data, I guess. It uh, is. If someone had a yeah. good answer for that, I would love to see it as well. But yeah. I haven't seen it either. And that's kind of my point. It's, it's quite difficult. And then, then there's another side of it. Um, it speaks against what I just said. 
you need to be, you don't want the exactly the same people every time. You uh, want to be diversified, diversified team. Yeah. yeah, and all, in, all uh, in a, a, every sense. A good team is a balanced team, all this. Yeah. Exactly. But so, d- does that mean sometimes when, when you now go out and look for something that now we're looking more for this personality because that's the gap in our current team, so to speak? Does that come up as also from a personality point of view? Or is it more like... Yeah, sometimes. If uh, someone or, or a couple of people have left us recently that are very driven uh, in uh, doing things internally or very outspoken or very extrovert or whatever, or has some kind of special speciality, some, uh, they are very good in, in a certain uh, technology, yeah. then we need to search for that mm. person, that kind of person, uh, both personally and uh, personality mm. and uh, technology. But mm. mostly we, we don't have any vacancies. So mm. we, we look for the right person. So they have to come to you more or less? Or you don't have any open postings at all? Or? Yeah, we do have. But but what I mean is that we don't have any vacancies that needs to be filled. No, yeah. rather the opposite. Yeah. If we find the, the right person, we will always find an assignment for, for that one. And and where are you on, on your journey now? Is a Helicopter is the ambition to, to be this sort of size company and then you do that really well and grow or, 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 or you know... Some companies wants to double in two years and all that. So, so where's helicopters mind on? We say on that more or less. How, how you want to? How you want to? About how, what? You, what's the feeling of the company where it should go? We don't want to be um, to grow um, too quickly. So we need to to do it in in a good pace. So like ten percent growth, not more than that. And why is that? I I kind of <laughs> agree with it, but I want to hear your thinking around. Because if you add more people into a group, it changes the group too much. Mm-hmm. And if you want to change the group, that could be a good thing. But I don't want that because we're a good group, bunch and group of people. So, um, so you're valuing you the current anything, culture, and you want to evolve yeah. that culture in a in a in a yeah. evolutionary way. And you have to be really careful with that. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's extremely important, I would say. Mm. And and what and, is the culture you want to cultivate? What is yeah, the culture? That's, that's a good question. What's the helicopter um, culture? I know exactly what it is, but it's very difficult yeah, to, to put it in words, <laughs> of course. Um, you have to be eager to learn. You have to have the possibility to learn. Mm. And you also have to um, want to share your knowledge. Uh, so that's the most important thing, I would say. Then you can add a lot of... You have to to be um, at work on time. You have to be, um, but it's consultancy minded, whatever. But uh, it's a lot of things. It sounds like learning and sharing. Yeah, caring, learning, sharing, caring. Yeah, that's huh? three good words. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I might steal that from you. Uh, please yeah. do. <laughs> so yeah, and it, it's not anything. I mean, most IT companies do that because our biggest competitor, in a way, is that every single consultant in my company could be their own, on their own any day. So we need to add some value in, in belonging to the group. Then we need to keep the group a good group. <laughs> you know, I, I, maybe this is a topic we could take maybe uh, in a bit. Uh, just to understand the, 
the the state of the industry and the, or this, the state of uh, mm-hmm. consultants because I, I think you're you're touching a very interesting point on the job market. Uh, I think especially in Stockholm, I, I assume yeah. it's more like that in several countries in the world. But Stockholm has a very this flavor, like uh, there's a lot of things popping, you know, from one company into another, becoming freelancers. So there's a lot of movement. So, but maybe not now, or but that's the topic I think could be quite interesting to hear your story yeah. well. I mean, just to finish off the the, the pro- process you have yes. basically to yes. hire, and, and you had the personality part, and you have some more techie part as well. Mm. How, how do you, I mean, there's a lot of questions there, you know, how, how you measure tech skills, and um, it can be, you know, hard skills, more hard tech, or more soft skills, trying to understand that. Do you have any special tricks that you favor? in be, being able to, to measure the technical skills that people have? Um, well, we can, when we are hesitating, uh, we can always ask them to give us a sample of what they've done. Mm. Um, we have a, a couple of questions that we can um, give the consultant, the prospect to, to, and more or less it's either they can, or they know the answer or they, they can't. So, it's quite easy when you've done this, I've done this for so many years. So it's, it's like, uh, I don't, do, I don't even think when I do it. Um, but we have a couple of questions that we always go through, but it depends on when, what they already know and what they are supposed to work with. Mm-hmm. So the list of, of uh, prepared questions can't be too long mm-hmm. because the main thing is, is, like I said, the, the possibility, the ability to learn new, new things. But when we, after the first meeting, we usually have a picture of what kind of consultant is this, what is the offer to, to the customer in the end, what kind of assignments can this consultant fill. And then we find one of our current consultants uh, who joins us for, for the second interview who asks questions and Usually that consultant has already done that journey that we want the, the prospect to do. So he can see that, okay, this person is where I was three years ago. So I think uh, he's got the possibilities to do what I do today. Because I think, let's zoom in exactly right here, because I think in the in the modern society, we have concluded it's, it's continuous learning. So our ability to pick, not competence, but to pick talent, Mm-hmm. And then combine with picking talent with the potential to learn or how we have defined mm-hmm. intelligence, acquire new skills fast. Um, let's zoom in on exactly that. What is your th- things and tricks to gauge that? Is this person going to have this ability to learn? H- how do you pick that? I When I read <coughs> um, a CV, I always focus on the in-betweens. Mm. Um, why did you move from this job to to that? Uh, and obviously, if there is a gap, gap, why? Mm-hmm. What did you do instead? Uh, but mostly, why did you leave? How was your? Did, did it meet your expectations when when you came to this um, employer instead? And you stayed for six months. Why? That could be a good thing if if they say that they well didn't give me any any. Development. Uh, development or it was so easy, it was too easy, I was bored, whatever. That's the correct answer usually. So 
I focus so, on the So actually you listen carefully to the reasons why people are moving yeah. and you're understanding if they are in their rationale is, is a growth or a, a journey to learn. So mm-hmm. you are in between the lines. It, it screams actually in the CV yeah. if you know how to ask the question. Yeah. I don't care too much of what they've done on every job, actually. There's a, there's a why in between. That's a, that's a good tip in the book. <laughs> um, for tech type of interviews, it's um, kind of hard. You know, something I think all, all companies want to have is diversity, uh, both mm. in gender and age and race and whatnot. Mm. Um, and it's easy to perhaps ask questions in the wrong way that favors you know, on gender, for example. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, how, how do you avoid that problem? Um, first of all, I, I try to aim for diversity. I think diversity is a very good word. I do not try to find a woman because we are to um, 60% men or whatever. I think you go, it's easy to go wrong there when you search for something, when you look for something. Diversity is much better to aim for because everything is important, not just men and women, it's um, cultural background, um, religion, whatever. Uh, or personality, not the least. But what we usually look for is um, a little bit of, not not the mainstream people, a little bit of um, outliers in one way or another, because they are usually, it's difficult to to explain, but a little bit uh, more intelligent, I would say. Mm. But dare to do do a different thing? Yeah. So, uh, or, and at least they are more interesting people. Maybe more it, fun to hang around. <laughs> yeah, and that goes for not just uh, hiring people, hiring the right people. It's um, when when choosing which friends to to um, to hang around. And so, so, so what you're saying is you're looking for what is making each individual unique, and yeah. you embrace. Yeah. uniqueness and you think it's quite interesting rather or this will strengthen the group because it's he's quirky but he's also unique in this way yeah or she, yeah. so mm. and i mm. think that you you um you find diversity if you do that okay so personality and you have some tech kind of interview and then you also do some tests yeah. and tests can be very controversial i think you know mm-hmm. I know, I know from Peltorion and, and also in Spotify, we had a number of discussions about this. Yeah. And some say, you know, you should have a, a week to do some really advanced kind of test. But then people say, well, imagine you have some small kids at home. They don't really have the same possibility to do this as people that don't and things like that. Mm. Any thoughts about, you know, what's your preference in doing tests? Well, I've done a few myself. Mm. And, and sometimes I, I agree with the results, and that's when, when I've gotten the job this time. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I don't. So, um, well, yeah, you can have a lot of opinions about tests. Um, and But the, the thing is that you have to do um, the decision yourself. You cannot blame the test. You cannot say that, okay, it was over 200 points, so that was, that's a good result. We, we will hire him. You have to see it as a um, suggestion that points you towards one. But and what's direction. the underlying reason why you why you want the test in your three step process? What, what, why do you think it's needed? 
um, it's it, well, like go back to to the the previous question to avoid like for some reason I don't like this guy or this woman because maybe she resembles someone that I don't like or something. I mean to avoid that kind of subjectivity, subjectivity the person, yeah. Like, no. So, so, so in some ways, trying to find it an, an objective yardstick, yeah, where someone who is brilliant could shine, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and that could give you another a new angle to this decision as a basis for your decision. Okay. And we have used the same. This is what what I think is very important. We have used the same test for more than ten years, exact same okay. test. So we can. You're not afraid about that getting out in the public and people know exactly what test to to do and stuff like that. No. Okay. And it's it's not about uh, it's standardized tests. Um, um, you uh, can you share any details about it, or do you want to keep it a bit secret? Or I I I, I don't um, well no <laughs> I don't have to keep it a, a secret. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a proper intelligence test. That's that's mm-hmm. one part of it, like the Mensa <laughs> test, one yeah. short one of that. And then if you are thinking um, uh, three-dimensional or in sequential, uh, and then it's um, form, form logic and um, numbers, if you're numbers people or not, um, that gives us a hint of if this... Um, uh, maybe someone that would be a good project manager, or is it a, a, an amazing programmer? Because uh, well, he's really nerdy and shy or whatever, but he's amazing at numbers and figures. So well, that could be that last part, that that last piece of puzzle that we need to to see the whole person and see his uh, availabilities, that his possibilities. So um, yeah, we we see it like that and since we have used it for such a long time it's um tells us a lot have you been able to see some sort of trend or can you no. I mean, like, what, what was the point with having the same test it's also like you have a yardstick in a, in a game, we, I we guess. understand the test you that, understand the test yeah. yeah so because you know people who has worked there that took the test in this way you know what yeah. they ended up yeah exactly. i get it yeah but but then again, you, you shouldn't. It, it's always your your own decision, and it's only one. It's like one piece of the puzzle. Maybe that's the point to yeah. make out. Another bit related question is, uh, you know, when to hire people and who to hire, and and then it's also I think uh, the question of growing people versus hiring people. And I'm not sure yeah. if you understand what I mean, but you can let's say that you have a number of junior people and you want to complement them with some more, someone more uh, senior mm-hmm. and you have the choice to to either hire that person in or try mm-hmm. to grow people mm-hmm. and uh, any thoughts about that for uh, first to, to, to speak you know what, what do you think should, well, should we, one we, try to we don't have to choose we're yeah. consultants and company so so we want both yeah so it's not a problem for me <laughs> <laughs> but then i guess you want to grow people if you can yeah, yeah. That, that is definitely something that drives me Yes, seeing someone that is um, a junior person coming from university, or mm. we are the, the second employer, or whatever in their career, and uh, after five years they are leaving us as a, mm. a skilled professional. That that's amazing. Just and, love it. And how do you grow people? I mean, simply you know having worked with a number of projects, of course, grows people as well. Mm. But is there other ways, or how do you grow people in terms of more soft skills or things like that? 
Yeah, that's a problem. That it's um, how do you do that when you don't work with the people every day? Mm. I mean, they they work. My employees, my colleagues, they they work with uh, on site with not today, mm. but obviously, but usually <laughs> on site uh, with the customer. And I don't see them every day. I don't see how they perform. I got secondhand information on how they perform. Mm. Um, so that's the uh, tr- tricky part of my job. But then you need to you need to learn. You, you need to understand the people, the um, individual, and their needs, and uh, talk to them a lot, and and be close to them. Mm-hmm. Be um, and try to <coughs> sorry, um, gain uh, find trust. Um, so do you have structures like do you have some sort of or is it just happening no. like more more organically that we are you you're, you're chatting with your, your with your people on the phone a lot and and your team leads are chatting it's, on the phone with them? It's both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's either way. The best way you can make some kind of contact differs. So, but you cannot do it in a structured way. You need to talk to the individual because it leads also a little bit into the whole idea. You know, maybe. If, let's round out recruitment because I think the whole idea with 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 the consultant industry consultants, what are we offering someone when we, we are together in a group? Uh, I was now going down the direction. Well, how do you keep a group as mm-hmm. a group when we don't meet because we are the clients? Yep. But let's let's finish off the the recruitment and this part first, and then we can. I think it would be nice to move into a little bit about group dynamics and consultants and freelance mm-hmm. and all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I covered most of my parts of that. But the recruitment, I think, is such an important topic for everyone. I, I don't think there is yeah. any company that don't struggle with it no. and want to minimize time that you spend with it, but still have as high quality yeah. as possible. Is there just you know to, to close uh, some tip that you would give, like a company similar to yours, perhaps a consultancy, or perhaps a company that wants to simply grow the data science skills that they have? Mm. How do they get good talents into their company? Some small tip that you think they could take advantage of? I think you should look for brave people. Brave people. Because when um, to to really succeed in when working with, I mean, um, working frontline AI, and when you really need skilled people. Mm. Uh, that can continue being skilled, you need to be brave. Um, because and brave in terms of what? Can you just um, elaborate a bit more um, in terms of, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. If, if could you just elaborate a bit more? I, I think, think that you, know. what, you, you need to try things you haven't tried before. When, I mean, working frontline, really, really uh, techy stuff, that new, new things that no one else, you, you have, no one to turn to. You have no one to ask. That kind of, of when you're looking for for that kind of skills, mm-hmm. uh, you need to be able to find someone that is um, not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I think you need to be brave. But I, I, before we close this topic, because it's very interesting to talk with you as a CEO, Mia, for a, for a thirty-five man band consultancy in data and AI, because. Because if you zoom out a little bit, when you start out the journey in data and AI in a large enterprise, well, there are several examples of the, the more successful approaches or someone that where they started to get traction 
has to be some sort of consultative approach and some sort of team. You know, it's the whole idea. You know, how do I start my center of excellence, or do I start mm. it uh, completely? And and uh, there is no right or wrong, but clearly there needs to be a community, maybe a group that could learn a lot from the dynamics of the consultancy. How do we take this journey on now internally? And I, I, I there are several examples of where you really could look at it as a consultancy internally mm-hmm. at several of the banks right now, at several of the many different industries uh, that, that has gone down that route that I think can learn a lot uh, from looking at the, the successful companies in the consultant industry. So I, I just wanted to make that connection that this advice and what we're talking about here, I think plays into the first steps of it, establishing data and AI competence center or whatever that it can be. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, the big companies today, um, the IT division, department, group, whatever, um, usually works like or, or are expected to be like consultants, internal consultants. Aha. Now, now let me not be politically <laughs> correct. I think that one of the major problems that we have right now in the enterprises is that a lot of the internal IT supply organizations that are quite large uh, has through the operating and governance model and, and how intertwined they are, they have uh, ended up in a much more reactive uh, approach than what is expected. Or, you know, so, yeah, so, and, totally and, their, and their way to, cons- they, so you meet them and they're really good and all that, but they're, 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 they're more product oriented or they, they maybe not be so business problem oriented. So, t- I'm, I'm generalizing now. So we have the, we have people and, and, and the, and IT, internal IT who is really, really good. But one of the things I have uh, found is, well, they're not so brave. Uh, they are not so proactive. They don't really listen to me as a customer. What, where I'm uh, going. They're more interested in, in keeping the enterprise IT guardrails that I don't know why they exist. Uh, and they're really driven from an IT supply. KPI going into the CIO and we have a cost uh, governance and we have an infra governance. We are good at this, but have we really flipped to be consultative to create business value? So I think that's where they need to go. The whole IT needs to be more like consultants, but are they there? I'm not so sure. If I, you know, what's your opinion? Because I, this was a leading question. This was a whole anecdote. It was my <laughs> spiel. I mean, like, so I'm sorry for that. I think that both, I mean, you the see whole, both. The we whole see both. spectrum exists. Yeah, yeah, the whole spectrum think. exists. And I totally agree. They, they need to, but I think that they are reactive, mostly um, reactive consultants today. And they need to be proactive. So I think the, the, the bottom line challenge that I typically boil it down to is the reactiveness versus proactiveness and yeah. how they act how they think like that, mm. but, but, but it's to some degree a consequence of a steering model that has been ingrained for many, many years, I think. Mm. Anyway, mm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I would like to start at a theme now. And I think this theme around IT and where IT needs to be, and also if data and AI even belongs to IT or if it belongs somewhere <laughs> else, we could have that conversation a little bit later. But what you triggered me uh, when we talked about uh, helicopter and the group and what you said something about also uh, one of the key values of being 
right now, or the, 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 you said it like the, the main competition is actually that some of this, especially the skilled people, they could go out and do this on their own and they could be freelance. So it's not even that they, they're leaving you for another company. They're actually re, re leaving in order to start their own company or to become freelance. Yeah. Could you elaborate a little bit on that and, and how you sort of understand the state of the industry and, and what's the trend right now and, 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 and how you think about this? Because you were on, on it already, I think. Mm, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, that question would be a lot easier to answer like eight months ago because then I could elaborate around the trend and what has happened and the yeah. change. So be maybe before the Corona. The whole world is just crazy. <laughs> and, and, and in a way it's like I've lost concept of, of what is, where are we today or mm. where were we eight, eight months ago? True. Um, uh, I could al almost say that. I, I've forgotten. I haven't, but but I well, don't but, but see the structure anymore. But so where is it right is now? Is it chaos, or is where where is it right? Let's start in the Corona times. Where are we I, right now on this today? Topic I in, today? think we stand still. Everyone is sitting still. Sitting still in the boat. Yeah. Um, for a little for a little while. while. Yeah, I think so. But we have seen the trend um, for, for several many years. many years yes. for like twenty years or so, uh, on and off more or less. I can't say that it's grown. I don't think it's more common today than 20 years ago. But I do think that when you leave university, uh, that's definitely an option for, for most people uh, to, to start your own business, uh, be on your own. Uh, and at least well, after you have okay, I, I'm taking a, a an employment for a couple of years and then I start my own business. That's definitely an option for everyone. Um, much more than 20 years ago. Um, I think that a while ago it was just, okay, I, uh, I was laid off. So, so, um, I might as well do this, but now it's more of a choice. I think I'm speculating now, but that, that's, um, your that's gut what feel. I think. That's my gut feeling. Yeah. And what about the trend of more senior consultants or uh, because I, I feel it like a trend, at least in Stockholm, the, the five, the last uh, maybe 10 years, but five years, we work somewhere and then we start off our, our spin off. We almost do the same thing and we started small and we, and we grow again. And then another, you know, that trend I think has been, especially in the BI space, I think it's mm. been really clear. Mm -hmm. Do you see it like that or? Yeah, absolutely. Why is it like that? Is it just too much demand or, or what, why has it been like that for the last five years? Do you think? I think it, it's a little bit for the money. Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, they see that they got more freedom mm -hmm. being on their own. Um, and then a lot of people go back to, to employment afterwards because they, they want to belong to a group or it was um, too difficult to, to sell themselves or it was. So the reason the to call back was is admin, the sales or belonging to the group. <laughs> I, I would say so. Yeah. yeah but then if you can overcome that, the money, the money speaks, I think you stay uh, on your own. Um, but yeah, it, I can't say, I'm not sure where we are going, but I, I think that overall we are approaching some kind of gig economy to a much bigger extent than what we have done uh, previously. I've got three, three children 
and when I listen to them, they, they are not talking in these terms, but um, I can understand that the way they are thinking is like, it's not, I have to uh, get to university, I, I need to get proper education and I want to be this. They don't speak like that. It's like, I, what do I want to do in my life? Where do I want to be? Um, what interests me? I think much more than what than I did when I was in their age. Um, I find this this uh, the whole new type of network economy, gig economy, and we see this on many scales on on the individual level of people, you know, young people. We see it on collaborations between startups and and big corporations. If we all just reflect, in my opinion, take a step back and listen to the conversation out in Dagens industry or whatever, there was no talk five years ago about, oh, we need to have a startup community working closely with Wallenberg Sverien. So when did that really start coming? This whole collaborative as the next step. I think Mm -hmm. data and AI topic or the the, the foundation that we're going into such types of techniques that is so beyond or different to my domain knowledge. So it's sort of landed on the table that we need to find other ways to collaborate. Do you agree? I mean, like yeah. this is what to me, the gig economy and connecting it to data and AI. Yeah. Absolutely. And then going back to where we started, that the bookkeeping automation, if you yep. can automate that, if you can find a community where you sell each other's instead of yourself, uh, and then you can find that the communities for, for different uh, topics everywhere today, much more easily than you could 10 years ago. So, so, so I think you yeah. can overcome those things. Yeah. But, there, but to stay a little bit longer on this gig economy, but please, Anders, what's your thoughts? Now, I mean, let me take another stance on this and, and perhaps yes. uh, ask another question uh, related to this. So you know, BI people, analytics people, data people in general usually have a speciality in working with data and they have you know, special people specializing that. But you could argue that that will not stay in that way, rather that data and AI skills will be a natural part of any role, including bookkeeping and whatnot. (laughs) So what's your thinking about that? Do you think it still will be like in 10 years from now, still a natural role for like a only specialized data person? Or will that be like a natural part of any kind of role that you have? Uh, I think we'll go the same way as I mean, being a, an expert in Microsoft Office, for instance, I, I think we will end up being there. Mm. So it's like a ubiquitous part. You need to know Office yeah. or, and you need to know data and AI to yeah. or whatever kind of task. This is essentially yeah, the data so. literacy journey from Word <clears throat> to being yeah. AI literate. Absolutely. Mm. I honestly mm. do believe that. Mm. And that makes the um, difference between the people who uses the technology and the people who builds the technology even wider. So, and what that does to our society is a very interesting uh, question, uh, which I don't know. But for for sure, it has to divide us. I mean, either you use the the technology or or you really understand it. So here we're talking about the AI divide from a different angle, Mia, which I find extremely important. We we have talked about the AI divide from the sort of super giants who is sort of so far ahead of us. But now you're flipping the coin on us. I love it. And we're talking about, is there an AI divide happening from the people who really understand how to build things 
uh, and the people who are simply good consumers of it. And what was your thinking there? I, I just wanted to point it out that I thought that was brilliant. We, we are doing some uh, techy progress here, year by year. Um, and as you said, as, as you, like 10 years ago was, uh, we suppose that everyone knows about Word or Excel or whatever. Now everyone is supposed to know about what a, what a data warehouse is or metadata can explain exactly what, what, uh, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, so those kind of issues, every single, um, young people um, from university will know these kind of things. So that's why it's so important to learn new stuff every year. Uh, for us, we're not really young anymore. And if you are, for instance, um, using that book, automated bookkeeping tool, mm. you can only buy its services. Mm. But if you can program it and um, you can sell it and you will earn money for it. So that's a really, really simple example. But if you take that further on to more uh, advanced solutions, it's the same, but the difference is even bigger. Um, I'm not sure how to explain it, but but for sure it but will you have, have so dividers a lot. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to sort of follow you, but in, you know, you're talking about having the acquired skills to really develop AI. And, and here we can argue, Oh, all right. Uh, right now, you need to be a rocket scientist or data scientist in order to do all this. We have uh, all all this open source technology needs to fit together, and here is the trend to simplify that and make the building of EI not only for rocket scientists, so to speak, but for domain people. This is one trend, uh, and th and then you have the whole uh, consumption and usage, where I guess. That is more and more seamless. It's the whole, you know, cyborg. The, you know, we think that the best AI seems to be the AI that works seamlessly mm -hmm. and in integrated with the human decision or the human process. Um, but it, there are several trends here, I guess, that sort of uh, to talk about here. So like, because even here to build AI, you need some sort of skill, even if you use like technology like Peltarion, but you maybe you don't need the full skills of a yeah. hardcore you know, the guys who codes for Google. And I think that the more the solution is to be used by a broader public, broader uh, you, uh, part of the society, mm. the more seamless it has to be done, the yes. more easily used it, it has to be um, easily used by every one that uses the, uh, the solution. The more complex the solution has to be, the more black box it, it you mean complex yet. behind the scenes yeah. in order for it to be more seamless to yes. as an experience and that's a that's one aspect to it that is who is gaining and who, who is paying for it mm. but the other aspect of is it of it is of course who is influencing the other part of course it's the one that builds it not the one that uses it so then there's a, the democracy part of it. So I think that we are moving faster and faster further into that kind of society where we are divided in the people who understands this AI society and the one who just use it. And speaking about using data and AI, 
and how it will influence our society. You know, Amazon will or have now launched in Sweden as well, and uh, I, I guess that can have a big impact on on the Swedish uh, society that we have and the companies that we do have in Sweden. And I know uh, Amazon is probably the, the leading company in in being data driven and using that for whatever they can to to really drive their services. How what, what's your impact? You know, how how do you think uh, as these kind of tech giants grow and coming to Sweden as well in an increasing scale, what will that do to to Sweden? You would say. Oh, what a difficult question. Um, in in what sense do you think? Okay, so I mean, let, in what area? Because yeah. of course, it okay, let me give a takes. concrete example then. I, I think a Swedish retailer. I'm eager to say a name, uh, but it can <laughs> be some electronic to, ele- electronic to retailer or or some kind of clothing retailer or whatnot, mm. and. Um, and they uh, do recognize that they have not gone that far in the data journey, so to speak, and they're not that data ready and they're certainly not AI ready today, but they probably need to, or, or I mean, how should, if you were to advise them, you know, they're sitting there, they're hearing Amazon is coming and other companies are, are growing and we have no cl- cloud provider in Sweden or Europe, you know, how, how should we handle this? How can we still stay alive? Can they simply hire, uh, you know, helicopter and, and guide them in their journey to become more data ready, or what should they do? But do they really? Need, you need Amazon as cloud. Uh, no, it's for the retailer. Amazon joining us as a retailer, right? I mean, they've been here for, as a cloud for a long time, but the, the, now they're also la- launching as a retailer. Okay, the re- okay, mm, but, yeah. but with the limited success, if you look at the, <laughs> the initial kind of translation issues that they had and whatnot in Swedish, but but that's that, an interesting question. It wasn't really that bad. It was yeah, a, a lot of. Uh, um, it was a, with a big bang. <laughs> so Perhaps you can elaborate. What, what do you yeah, mean? Because that, people don't know, I think, you know, what happened. Do, do you know, so, or how, how would you discla- uh, describe? I, I don't want to use the terms that they had in the, some no, of their products. <laughs> okay, um, but, but they had really poor way of launching in Sweden. You can I think say. we can use, uh, I think it was Russian infantry that was uh, translated to like uh, Russian toddlers, I think. It was yeah. really funny. Um, and not use the other examples. Mm. But still, you know, if you were to guide some company that are right now perhaps a bit behind or they feel a bit behind mm-hmm. in becoming data-driven and starting to use AI, what what should they do? I mean, are, should they, shouldn't they be afraid about the big companies coming to Sweden or should they? I think, I think they should. Yeah, they yeah. are big competitors. Uh, for sure, but, mm. but I think that th- this is why I didn't really understand the question because you cannot become data driven by using technology. Uh, you have to start mm. in the other end. I mean, why? Oh, awesome, good uh, for starters, and then um, you have to change the whole organization because that mm. is what you want. You you want people to react upon the data they get. Mm. And then you have to build the, the, the technology around it to support them with the data they need. But first of all, you, you need to understand that what kind of data do we need to bring the value that we need to, mm-hmm. that we want to get, uh, to get us where we want to go and where do we want to go? Where do we need to improve? 
which processes do we need to change or whatever. So that's that's never a technology issue, I would say, that the technology is a tool to help them to be data driven. Mm. But, but this is, that really, is the issue. Mm. But this is really awesome because like, it's almost like we, we get scared by the, uh, by the rattling of technology, you know, mm. now Amazon is coming. Mm-hmm. And so the knee jerk reaction is not to think about how to improve the business or what the value is, but the knee jerk reaction seems to be, we need to have the same tech. We don't know for what or what we're supposed to do, but let's yeah. go and buy some tech. Yeah. So it's a little bit like because it's tech driven, yeah. it, we are, we are almost throwing our senses out the window and just buying tech. Mm-hmm. And I think you summarized that really beautifully, you know, why they should really be afraid, but you know, not don't buy tech, understand no. your business in the new environment. Mm. But, but this is an interesting dilemma here because to me, then they need to understand their business better, but they now need to do it in the new domain, in the new society, or like, let's call it a data and AI first society. And we're coming, we're circling back to this Venn diagram and the whole challenge that these guys has the data and AI capabilities, these guys have the domain capabilities. So now these guys come here and they seem really smart and they are Amazon. So, uh, and what they need to do, they need to stay and understand their domain, but then they need to move into the Venn diagram core, so to speak, and understand that, okay, if, if my company is going to live here now, how will my company look like? Mm-hmm. Which is quite different than to, to use, abandon your brain on your domain and just look at tech, but it's focusing on your domain and, your, and then understanding mm-hmm. and having the literacy, what can the tech do for me? Yeah. And it's a little bit like we are, I think it's classical enterprise. We we need to go to cloud, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know why. Let's do it. Exactly How to do so. it? Lift and shift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good summary, and it's a good way that you how you how you flipped it. I like that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I'm that satisfied with that answer. Actually, no, okay, continue then. No, then I am satisfied with that. But you have another answer, maybe. Well, I'd like to hear from you as well. Yeah. Um, and perhaps do you have any like good or bad stories from your time at helicopter? Perhaps how companies are trying to become more data driven and perhaps fail at some points or succeed at some other points. Anything you can share about that? Um, without naming names perhaps, but, um, no, no, I, I don't want to go into any, any customer stories. Um, but I can, like, for just give an example from my, my previous experience at, at one of the com- fun companies where I've had assignments that I don't want to <laughs> tell you which fun company. Mm-hmm. Um, they had acquired a lot, lot of, um, a couple of smaller fun companies. So they had a lot of mutual funds. Like, um, you know, when you buy investment funds, they are named with the, with the company name and then, Sweden fund or Europe fund or whatever, those kinds of, so they had a lot of Swedish funds, um, Swedish investment funds. So they wanted to merge those into one fund. Mm. And that's obvious. We save money from it. And this is not really data driven story, but whatever it's, it's so obvious that, that if we, we do that, we, uh, the management of a fund is quite expensive. You need a fund, someone to to um, 
buy and sell shares within the fund that those guys are quite expensive. So they just needed one instead of five. Um, so some obvious things that they did to, to save money. And then I just asked the question when I, when I saw the plan, they had a lot of mergers planned. So I said that I was um, handling the, the, the finances back then. So I asked them, how do you know which fund to keep? Because they were all merged into one fund that they kept. And I said, uh, why? The best fund. Okay, how do you know which one is the best? And he <laughs> he only knew that uh, how it performed. He didn't know the, the full P&L of that fund. So this is whatever it is. It could be shoes or, or um, <clears throat> whatever. But they didn't... The solution was obvious. They didn't use all data. Um, and I've, I've seen this so many many times over the years where I've been working that you, you think you don't go that deep into the details. You think it's obvious and then you don't ask anyone else. You think you know the, the truth. Uh, you never know. When you work in a company that is bigger than 10 people, you never know it. Not even then. Uh, so you have to talk to a lot of people. So here's where, where the, <laughs> what you need to do. You need to discuss what value um, are we looking for. In, in this example, they were looking for saving money. Okay, <clears throat> we want to save money. Where do we get the information? Okay, we get it from there and there and there. How do we gather, how do we get, gather the information? What technology do we need for that? It was, is, is it the ERP system only or do we need a data warehouse or whatever? So that is the process that you need to follow. And that is generic. generic. You always need to follow this process. Where do we want to go? Where's the information and how, how do we handle it? What model do you, and method uh, do you need to use for it? Um, so without naming anyone, I would say that everyone reaches this pitfall. Okay, uh, I see that. But I guess there you, are... You're not happy with my answer. Well, I, I like to be in <laughs> concrete and I understand that you don't want to share details. So I won't push you on that. But if we speak a bit more in generic terms and, and just mm. perhaps name a number of challenges that companies have mm. to start being a bit more data-driven at least. Mm. You can think about many things. It can be simply the lack of data that they don't have. It could be that they don't have the infrastructure to, to manage the data in a good way and they try to do it on-prem perhaps and from scratch. <laughs> or it could be you know, just the legal issues and, and being afraid about you know, being sued for GDPR or whatnot. Mm. Um, it can be simply the, the knowledge that people don't understand what you can do or should do with, with data and AI and analytics. Uh, and uh, yeah, the problem with the tooling and the tech and it's being rather immature, etc. If you try to, to just rank, you know, all of these kind of challenges, is it something that you think is of extra, you know, extra prob problematic, so to speak, uh, to get started to become more data driven? Um, I would say that the, the people are scared of change. Mm. Scared of change. Yeah. So it's a good comment, I think. And, and how do you fix that? How would you, if you go to a company and speak to them uh, and you can feel that they are a bit scared about changing the way I, they work? You need motivation. 
Yeah. You need to scare them uh, not to change <laughs> or motivate them. Um, you will gain this or you'll get that yeah. if you do. <clears throat> like, for instance, um, uh, in the society today, um, you will catch a virus if you are meeting people, stay inside, and you do that mm. without any problem. Who would have thought that we would do that mm. a year ago? Mm. If you're motivated, you change the law. I think the coronavirus is an example of we can actually cha cha uh, change much faster than we, we think. Yeah. Uh, the extreme level of digitalization, I think a lot of industries have seen just because of corona is extreme. So, I mean, yeah. it's a clear sign that we can change if we have the right mindset, right? Absolutely. So that's the first thing. And then, then the second thing I would say is that people don't really understand what it is. What is data-driven? I'm data information. Yeah, I have information. And I, I act upon my information. Everyone does that. Mm -hmm. But to really understand it, it's what data do we have and where do I get it and what can I do with it? And if you ask someone in any organization that hasn't really thought this through, they can't give you a proper answer. Mm. Mm. And, and that goes for me as well. When it's, so, it's, so it's not... <laughs> but but isn't it as simple as, can you really articulate your problem, your business problem sharp enough, and now you're adding another dimension, can you translate that to an analytical problem or a data problem? And that's simple being so concrete on what your business problem is, you truly understand how data will solve you. It seems very simple when we talk about it, but I think, you know, we, we fail all, already here. Oh, I need a BI solution. Uh, you're talking about tech now. And oh, I know I need a report. Still talking about tech. You're not getting going to get rich from a report. What's your insight that's going to lead to decisions, to actions? And this whole conversation, do we do it enough or do we just jump into it too fast? We definitely jump, jump into it too fast. Definitely. I think that then... It's always a, there's always a, a, a techie solution for everything. If you've got e enough money, you can solve anything with technology, you think. So then Today's problem, but it, you, you don't really do so, that. So, so scared about change and, and, and then having to follow it through to have a crisp enough why, to really understand your why, really, really crisp. Yeah. But what so. is the why? What is, you know, being data-driven really mean? Do you have a good definition of that? To uh, I think to uh, make decisions based upon information and not gut feeling, mm. and that brings us to, to to another thing. Do you really want to be data driven? Mm. I mean, would you like to be data driven when uh, when deciding who to marry, or which house to to buy? Yeah, maybe mm. about the house, but you go into to. Uh, um, when, when you first walk into your house that you really want to buy, you feel at home, you like it, you feel secure, etc. It's not how much it costs, etc. Not not really. That uh, takes away the the two expensive ones. But I mean, when you decide which ones to to which houses to look at, but it's you don't want to base it on data, really. Definitely not who you marry. So when do we want to be data-driven? I'm eager to, to argue that point, but okay, <laughs> uh, I think it's a dangerous point to put. 
Go on, tell us. I'm interested. <laughs> no, but I think it's a difference between like these kind of one-off decisions you make, like mm. buying a house or marry someone. Yeah, of course something that you do yeah. like every day. And um, if you want to you know, minimize the time it takes to, to go from home to work and transport yourself or something, you, you don't. That, I think, would be awesome to be data-driven with, right? Um, but but it, I think the, you can argue that from like a mathematical kind of production proof point of view, saying if that is the true, if that's true for, for you know, these kind of many events happening, it should also be true for few events happening. But I think it, the, the problem then is how do you really collect data for that? And how can you really trust it? And I guess trusting data is, is core of the issue in, in this Absolutely. case. Yeah. If you had data that could really tell you, even for buying a house, this is data I truly trust, and we're going to use it. Yeah. And yeah. maybe that's, uh, well, we are not really there yet, but when mm. we are, maybe, yes. Mm. And that's the same thing when we, if we go back to recruitment, the, recru the recruitment process. I wouldn't want to have that completely data-driven, but if I could, yes. But I think Why do you say you don't want something to be data-driven? I mean, if you had 100% trust in the data, that will never be the yeah. case, of course. If but so, yes. Hypoth yeah. Hypothetically, yeah. yeah. Definitely. So it's a matter but, of, you know, lack of trust for data and or, or not even having data, I guess, for yeah. some decisions. But it would be really boring. Why is data boring? I don't get that. No, data isn't boring, <laughs> but not making decisions, not making... Not, um, Walking into that house that you, well, no, I didn't, don't think that's not, that's no house for me. And then you walk into the house and, oh, this is my home. Mm. You wouldn't get that if you were. You know, I think you're on to, to one point that I think is really interesting. And, you know, I always try to promote at least data should not be making decisions that itself. It should always be done together with humans. Yeah. Because AI, especially today, is, is, of course, very, very narrow and don't have the, the domain knowledge and the deep knowledge and reasoning capabilities that humans do. But what they do can do, or what AI really can do, is go through a large amount of data. And you can't really do that as a human, but they only have like a shallow understanding of it. Yep. So it seems, at least to me, that this is perhaps a perfect example with, you know, if we can combine data with humans um, and then use humans for what they are good at, the gut feeling that you can have because you in some way understand the, you know, you have the background knowledge and the reasoning capability that an AI is, is very, very far from having today, then you get both, best of both worlds in some yeah. way, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know, that makes a lot of sense. And Mia, how do you look at uh, another angle on data-driven now? So, okay, so data-driven based on that we have data-driven decisions. So it's sort of the, data scientists, advanced analytics, we, we, we know what to do. So what about data driven from an automation point of view? So now we're talking about uh, recommender systems or building things to which is ultimately, or oh, maybe even using uh, neural networks and that kind of uh, stuff as a new data, as a coding paradigm. Mm -hmm. um, is that data driven? Is that something else? Is it two different sides of the coin? What is anal advanced analytics? What is sort of machine learning, engineering, automation. Just to finish up on, on the last discussion a bit, because we, we spoke about this quite a lot at Spotify, actually, about data-driven versus being data-first or data-only. So it's mm -hmm. three different terms here. 
data first, data only, and or data driven. And I think we we argue a lot. We do not and never want to be data only. And, and the meaning with that is, if, even if you have data about you know how someone is using some part of some you know some service that Spotify has or whatever company have, that data can be wrong. And it may be lagging data, it may be noisy data, it can be missing data. It can be a lot of problems that cause the data to actually not uh, show, or you, you can't really draw, draw the conclusion you think from the data. So unless you can interpret the data, it can be really dangerous to just use the data. So being data first means you do trust data, but always have human in the loop. Would that be a good you know, description of, of how you see it as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Even, even for marrying someone? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even for marrying the, someone. The data none in that case, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. I mean, I think that's an important topic. You should never be data only. I think that's really dangerous to be. Yeah. Right? Mm. We can cool. definitely agree on that. Cool. Yeah, sorry, Henrik. Just... No, and, 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 and the, moving on now, data-driven now, Okay, how, how does that relate to data for insight and that we then act upon or even taking the whole sort of automation path here? Is that, is that data only when you do automation? I don't think it needs to be. Well, I think automation should be phrased properly. I mean, if it's so dangerous, I think, sometimes to speak too abstractly. So it's always easy to have some example in mind when you speak about these two things. So let's take automation, but let's take something like... Uh, no, let's take uh, medicine or brain tumor detection and, and you want to be able to build a treatment uh, plan for a cancer patient. And you have a number of images from some CAT scan and AI is, is good in some cases, but it, and it can go through these images, you know, hundreds of images that you have of the brain very quickly and very accurately like circle the area that potentially have a tumor, but it can't really build a treatment plan. For that, you need a human. So you can automate, yes, but you can automate step. a part of it. Yes. And, and as long as you do that and recognize that, I think automation is great. But it's not about replacing humans. It's about taking or augmenting humans to do things in a more efficient way. So instead of humans going through hundreds of images manually, you can automate that part of it. But then you have to always, of course, have humans still in the loop somehow. Yeah. So it, it, that's at least my view of, you know, automation, yes, but not about, you know, it's not automation only, it's automation first. It's automation like, first. <laughs> it's well, like data we, only. We coined a, a, new, a new term, automation first. But <laughs> it's I think not automation because only. I was a little bit hinting also a little bit like we had a conversation here where we sort of contrasted, is it there a difference between, you know, with the techie guys, machine learning, engineering and advanced analytics? And, and the whole idea with advanced analytics, yes, we are trying to build an insight uh, for someone to make a decision on. So, so then it can be very much around context. You need much, much more to understand the more statistical side of things. Whilst if you go to a very narrow AI and we go down to this example, like here, you know, the statistics or the neural network becomes really, really, really sharp and you can program it on, on a very narrow space. It's not really uh, advanced analytics in the same context as we grow up with BI. It, it's and he, so here we are coming almost to a new coding paradigm on how to code and, and letting a computer look at the, uh, the vision, uh, you know, uh, computer vision. 
So for me, data driven also here is sort of, you know, it's a little bit like when, of course, I think it's both, right? But I think it's sometimes we end up talking more about data driven as, you know, more advanced analytics. And then if you, you know, Spotify is a good example where we, you really build uh, recommender systems, right? Mm. Um, what do you think? I, I think it's used, uh, it's worth mentioning. Of course, not automation only, but automation first. But I think this, this yeah, data, I think, I data think, driven do two different ways. I think automation is the wrong term to use, actually. I don't like the term. Well, maybe that's good. I mean, like, it's okay, so what, what should we call it? It's augmenting humans more. Yeah, it's actually stealing from Arrow, I think, a bit in huh? H&M as, as well. And they speak much amplified more intelligence. They yeah. say in H&M, amplified yeah. intelligence. Yeah, and yeah, augmenting is basically the same thing. Yeah. But being able to use AI and data analytics for what it's good at, uh, augmenting yeah. humans so they can make better decisions is, I think, a better way to phrase it. What do you think, now? Yeah, I agree. I think so too. And I, I think that when, when taking that. Another thing, when, when, uh, this example of scanning uh, pictures of supposed mm. tumors or birthmarks or whatever mm. that, that could be um, really bad for you. For, there's automation to go through a lot of amounts of data, just maybe you cannot do it uh, at, at all because it's, yeah. it's too much. Exactly. Or it's to take away boring uh, stuff to, to take us much quicker towards that uh, point where, where human being, being is needed. As an example, yeah. yeah. And maybe you need both, like um, evaluating pictures, is, is it a tumor or not? Maybe you need both. Uh, maybe you need the, the computer that never gets bored, that never zooms out or whatever when looking at the pictures. I don't know if you do it like <laughs> that way when looking at pictures, but supposedly mm. if you do that. Um, and then have a someone educated that they can evaluate it, a human being to do the same thing. So you can do it for different reasons and maybe both in in mm. sometimes. So as always, we use terms very sloppy sometimes and need to know what uh, to be very stringent about what we actually mean. Mm. Automation. Um, machine learning, AI, whatever, it's used very randomly. It is, for sure. Uh, just to, to end, perhaps another example that I think is fun to, to see, we, we work a bit with um, Folktandvården, or a Swedish uh, public dental service. And mm. They basically want to minimize uh, the prescription of antibiotics. Mm. And it's a big problem today, and you know, it causes resistance and, you know, for these bacteria to, to, if you prescribe too much. So now they have a lot of humans going through old, reviews and trying to decide was this a correct prescription of antibiotics or not and in some cases they find it's it's wrong but that is extremely boring as you say task you know imagine going through like thousands of all the journals and, and trying to make a decision from that it's not something that the human should do probably i mean perhaps by combining you and human and ai so ai can at least say these are probably the most probable misprescriptions so to speak or, or of uh, antibiotics, and, and then humans can review at least the top ones. Perhaps that could be, I think, a good example of how we can use the best of both worlds, so to speak. Yeah, I think so too. But, cool. but if yeah. all the um, boring tasks are <coughs> taken away, or the, if we, not the boring, if you take away all the easy tasks, 
that anyone can do. Mm. That's another thing. What will happen to our society if that happens? Well, the truck drivers, are 33% of the American population that is truck drivers, or, and soon we have self-driving trucks. Yep. What will happen then? What do you think? I think that we will get to the point where we don't want an automation anymore. Because what else should we do? Mm. We need something. We need, um, most people need a job to go to. But don't you think there, there will be new jobs coming up that haven't been before or existed before, thanks to AI as well? I don't think that we will find as many new jobs to, to cover all the, the jobs lost. Yeah, I hope you're wrong, uh, but uh, there are yeah, actually me, some, me too, me too. <laughs> uh, there are some reports from Gartner and McKinsey and others that actually think that it will be a net positive uh, when AI is rolled out, uh, and, and mm-hmm. I, it's a positive view, and I hope they're right. Yeah. But it could be the opposite, of course, as well. I think that the the effect of of the AI transformation in society is overall positive, definitely. Mm. But I do also think that we need to change the society mm. and the way we are. Um, I mean, still working eight hours a day, really, since but, but many, imagine, many years. You know, I, I sometimes get a bit frustrated when I hear, you know, we will lose jobs. Well, you know, don't we have enough things to do? We have so many challenges in our society today. Absolutely. Imagine Corona today. Imagine the horrible problems we have with the, the medical medical care that we have. You know, we have too many things to do today. We have too much poverty. We have too you know, much lack of education. We have so many challenges in our society. We have an environmental and climate change happening. We don't know how to do that. We have too little time to, to even do it. So, I mean, having a lack of jobs or things to do would be a luxury, but we are so, so far away from even being close to that, right? Absolutely. So I think you know we should instead think... You know, if we can automate more things, we can start to work with the really important important challenges we do have today that we don't have time to even do today, right? Like, for, for instance, take care of, of our own health. Yeah, to, um, exactly. Exercise um, an hour a day or something. Yeah. If everyone did that, we would live much longer and yeah. wouldn't need as much health care, etc. So, mm. I we could. I'm sure we could think of a lot of things I, I to do we, with, we, with our time instead find of working. <laughs> There will be no lackage of work, but I do think, however, it will be a need for lifelong learning. And, and you mentioned that a number of times as well. Mm-hmm. So these techniques can help us be more efficient. It can help us to automate some parts of, of different tasks to make us have time to do the important things that we need to fix in our society to make us simply more happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we need to transition and we need to change the knowledge as well that we do have. Yeah. And, and how, how should we do that? Do you have any thoughts about you know, how to improve lifelong learning and, and be prepared, basically, for the future that I guess is coming in some way? Um, I think that the, the school system needs to provide that kind of education mm-hmm. to our kids. Mm. Um, but, for, but for the lifelong learning part, I mean, if how to have, learn, you mean? How to learn, yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So you, you're, yeah. you're basically saying, well, we're not here to cram you with information anymore. We are here to really give, make you ready for lifelong learning. Yeah, I think so. so. And, and I think they do to um, quite a big extent. Um, what I've seen from, from schools today is that they do, they do that. 
much more than, than they did 30 years ago. I don't have any statistics. So it's meta learning in some way. It's learning to learn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I wish the schools could do that more for sure. Mm. But even for your own company, um how are you trying to make sure that they are, you know, keeping up to pace with all the amazing progress happening all the time? Do you have any plans or thoughts about, you know, how to make sure that your own employees will That's definitely an important task for me. Mm. Um so I need to see to that they um they use the the hours they um everyone use the, the hours that they get to uh, to learn to educate themselves to gain more knowledge because they they have time to to do so um and also i mean we, for every new assignment they need to learn new stuff and they need to um use their experience to um take on you and i guess that's the case in, in your type of world that you know every new assignment they do get is you know some new type of tech it's some new type of problem some new type of domain knowledge perhaps that they need to understand right well that's the easy part when there is some special part they, they a new technology they need to learn that's really easy mm. um difficult no. part is that this is a more demanding assignment demanding in in every way how, how do you gain knowledge to to take on that what do you mean i don't really follow you so more demanding what do you mean like more for instance complex, you, you more complex politi- political you, you move, yeah for instance um more politically um complex organization or maybe you move on from a developer to an architect um or, or whatever step you take that is not okay i've been working with Asher, I'm um, moving on to to mm. Amazon instead. Not that that's more easy. That's manageable. Yeah, definitely. So, what do you mean? The personal growth is a problem, or is it? What's? It's not a problem. It's, uh, a, problem. it's a challenge then, or <laughs> the challenge. Yeah. Um, the challenge is to provide everyone with enough challenge every day to grow, mm. and provide them with. Um, Well, make sure that they have the, um, well, they are brave enough to take on on the um, assignment and do the scary stuff. And um, but is the problem to to have a lack of challenging tasks to take on, or is it the problem that people don't are not are not basically brave enough to do take on the challenging tasks that do arrive? I think that I'm I'm not this is like I'm I'm sitting here talking about my. My mm. colleagues, it's not like that. I'm talking about people in general, oh, okay. and that goes for me as well. I think that what we, as I said, I, I don't think we are in general data driven. I think that we are in general driven by our feelings, and mainly we are driven by um, the strongest feeling that I see, at least, is fear, fear of um, failing, fear of whatever. So therefore, you need to be brave. That's uh, what I meant. So I think that coaching people that it's it's never wrong to fail. It's never wrong to fail once. It's almost never wrong to fail twice. But if you not learn and fail the third time, then you need to mm. learn how to learn, so to say. And so supporting people and building that community where it's okay to fail and where it's okay to ask for help and support each other. That's very important. So building a culture it, in your company to 
yeah. make it people feel it's okay to fail and yes. be brave enough to yeah. take on challenging tasks. And, so and that is important in every organization, yeah. Yeah. everywhere. Yeah, well said, I think it's yeah. an important part for sure. What are your biggest fears? Are you afraid of failing? Anything else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I go up on karaoke stage, so no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, you know, Daniel Ek and Spotify said one thing, you know, very nice way, and I, I'm paraphrasing him you know, now, but basically said, you know, Spotify is going to be the company that fails the fastest. Mm. And that sounds strange when you hear it, but when you really think about what he meant, it's really profound, I think, and important. It's, I think it's basically what you are saying as well. It's, it's basically being, um, you need to try many things uh, before you find what really works. If you put all your eggs in one basket then, and, and that breaks, then you know, you're out of luck. But if you can do things, 10 different things at once and fail fast for the ones that you know, does not have a good promise, promise or, or doesn't seem to work, then you have a mis- much better, bigger, bigger chance to basically find the thing that do tr- truly work. So being able to fail fast is much more important than being safe in that way. Right? Yeah. And I think that's a yeah, very important mindset to have, I think. Yes. Cool. I think we are starting to run out of time here as well. And um, it, uh, it would be fun to hear a bit more what's next in your life, Mia. Do you have... Uh, yeah, something planned coming months that uh, interesting for us to hear about. Yeah, um, running a company always uh, involves uh, doing uh, planning for the next year in October, November, December. So we, we're in the middle of doing that, mm-hmm. uh, setting up the strategy for next year and um, um, planning for finances, etc. So I'm looking forward to a normal year. You think that will happen next year? No. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your budget is not the normal year yet? Not yet, no. Um, well, financially, it's almost, it's, it's been, it's gone amazingly well, actually. Uh, not at all what I expected, like half a year ago. I was expecting mm. the worst, but um, it's been much better than, than I thought. We are in, the, in a good spot in the market, mm. I think, to do to survive financially and, and to do actually really well financially. But still it's, it's like everyone is holding on to their desks and everyone is holding on to what is um, that core business, no big projects uh, are, are being planned, etc. So nothing really new is happening. So I'm looking forward to that normal to find amazing um challenging new projects to take on. So that would be amazing if we, we can get that in 2021, I think. But then I, I expect um, to continue uh, supporting our customers with new um, amazing cloud solutions with automation and... And if you uh, look at more, more than one year and, and think 10 years ahead, what do you think the difference will be in how companies work or how, how you work at your company? I think that the um, companies in 10 years will have much softer edges than what they have today. And what I mean is that you will have your community with sub-consultants and 
uh, former colleagues um, um, working or, or employees working one year and the next year they are traveling around the world and then they come back or whatever. I think that we are thinking more of a community than of companies. Mm. Exactly how that will look, I didn't know, but mm. uh, I think we are moving towards that. Sounds like a good future, I think. I love I that vision. So yeah. Softer edges, softer contours, yeah. community. Mm. Great. As a final question, um, do you can you recommend someone that you think would be good to have on this show? You would like to to listen to yourself? Yeah, I have um, two suggestions. <laughs> One is. Um, just a wish, mm. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> difficult. Um, this is, it's um, difficult to do, you have to choose your words here, but mm. I'm a big fan of Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, oh. Not a fan of exactly everything he... Uh, Why didn't you say that earlier? <laughs> as well, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, not actually mm. what he thinks about every, uh, yeah, everything, but but maybe you I can do like at least two, three minutes for the people who doesn't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Will, will you? Uh, yeah, you, let, you can go five. You're no, allowed no, to go you, five minutes no, over time. You please. Okay, I okay. think you should do it for sure. So anyway, um, he's a psychologist and he's an author, um, and he has gone viral. The not not the recent years, but but a couple of years before that. It's been on a bad year the, the last year, right? For yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And um, he had, I think he was most uh, famous for his comments about transgender people. Yeah. Canada, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what I like about him is uh, he, he's very controversial, mm. but not really controversial. It, he's both he is and he isn't. But what, what I like with him is his way of argumenting around things and his way of, getting to, to the point with, if you're asking me a question, he answers exactly what you are saying, or he says, okay, I interpret that you are saying this, and therefore answering that question instead of what mm. you just said. He's very to the point. Uh, and that is exactly what I like with him. Mm. So that would be really, really interesting to hear what he thinks about the future of AI, for instance. He, he is an amazingly brilliant person and yeah. very rhetorically uh, skilled person, um, yeah. I would say, and and you know, knowledge in psychiatry for sure, uh, and, and very controversial. Yet, if someone wants to have something fun to do the, during the weekend, I would recommend that they Google for the Channel Four interview with Jordan Peterson. Yep. Have you seen it? Or? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's, <sighs> it's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so. they have a famous quote in that <laughs> interview saying, you know, so what you mean to say is, so every time the interviewer says, you know, tries to to uh, there is this term for this, uh, I don't recall it right now, but they, he's, 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 she's trying to interpret, you know, his answers in a completely different way and always turn it around in, in a way that they normally get away with, but not with Jordan. Oh. Leading, um, they're trying to lead him on. I mean, say things that he's not really saying. And then, he's, and then you just point them, no. I mean, he basically says, very annoyed. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. That's completely wrong. <laughs> and he, yeah, he, he is, yeah. he can really, you know, identify when people is trying to, to do that type of thing. So yeah, uh, he's an awesome person. I wish also that we could have him on the show, but yeah. I think that do you have tough. someone then more close to Stockholm? Yes, and um, I've been around for a while. I'm, 
so uh, one person that has been quite courageous in um, against authorities and fighting for personal privacy uh, is uh, Jon Karlung, the CEO of um, Banoff. And that also could be interesting oh, in uh, listening yeah. to his view on very things around cool Mia. Awesome. That's a cool idea. Thank you very much, Mia. It's been a pleasure, as usual, to, to have you here and all the discussion. And I, I hope that we can go and watch some Joram Peterson <laughs> interviews soon. <laughs> yes. Or have some additional discussion about him in the after after work. Yeah, that's, so that's the benefit now when we can put yes. <laughs> this show up uh, and have a look at it together. Yeah. Mia, thank you very much. Super nice. Thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you.